This program is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks. You'll find over 100,000 titles in just about every genre. And if you want to listen to Jasmine Ward's Salvage the Bones and help keep this wonderful show going, sign up at www.audiblepodcast.com bat. You'll get a free audiobook, a 30-day trial, perhaps a hug of the future. Because sometimes you need more in life than milk and cookies before you hit the hay. So I am here with Jesmyn Ward, who is most recently the author of Salvage the Bones. Jesmyn, it's a pleasure to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's I good understand to be here. you have this fruit situation yeah. that's going on here. I, I really want to get to the bottom of this before we get into the serious tragedy of Katrina. Well, what's what's with the fruit smoothies? I, I mean, maybe it's because you know summer is approaching, yeah. and uh, I don't know. I just get hungry for fruit whenever it gets hot. And, I think and that's you what don't it have is. smoothies where you live. Well, no, we have a bad franchise. I forget what it's called now, but it's this really bad franchise where they say that all the ingredients are fresh, but it, they really just dump a whole bunch of powder and some ice. Oh, it's like a Jamba it's Juice kind yeah. of situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I know. I, I moved from San Francisco away from that, and I've seen it crop up in <laughs> intermittently. So I, yeah. I feel the pain, I yes. suppose. Well, let's get into a a very organic and natural topic. <laughs> Your book. Um, the book here incorporates a good deal of mythology, the Edith Hamilton book. And in fact, before I even begin, is it Esk or Esh? Esh. Esh, okay. I didn't know if it was eschatological or Escher, so. No, Esh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you have Esh reading this Edith Hamilton book, especially Medea, and you also suddenly point out near the end that mythology won't entirely help you out in a fix. Uh, and Esh says that she is stuck in the middle of the book. And aside from Hamilton, I have to ask, did you draw on any other inspirational mythology when you were creating this book? I mean, what was there a point when you abandoned mythology at all, like Esh? I wanted to sort of start off here from the origin. Huh, and that's an interesting question. I, I, th- I don't think that I... I didn't draw from, from much, like, from any other mythology. I don't think. Um, Greek, Greek mythology, that was a thing in this book. I think in my first book I did, well, I mean, if you call, if you consider some of the older tales in the Bible mythology, I drew from some of those in my first book. Do you consider them mythology? Well, (laughs) I mean, they are tales that, you know, sort of explain how the world became what it is. So, I don't know, in ways I think it is. But, but, but I didn't use any other, any other sorts of, like, mythologies in in this, in Salvage the Bones. Yeah. I don't know. I, th- I don't think that I. I don't think that I ab- abandoned it. Um, I think that. I think that mythology is important to her because it's one of those. Because it's helping her understand what it means to be a mother and what it means to be a woman. Yeah. So therefore, like even though she turns, she turns away from it. She still can't help but you know before the storm. Sure. But but, come back to that story and and, and read more, um, of Medea because she because. Because she's searching, and in there she's found something. She can't figure out what it is, but she's found something. But it's interesting that you would have her cleave to mythology in America, which is a nation that constantly is in search of its own great mythology. The great American novel, we're number one, you name it. Um, I'm wondering if this mythological concern was in some sense related to, well, whatever American identity that Esh and her family have. Well, I think she I think she feels very much like an outsider. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that her that if 
that that the culture that she's from that she you know that she lives in so this small rural you know poor black community i mean i think that they feel like they're outside of that um you know they exist outside of, of outside of that american dream and so i think in ways they have to look they have to look elsewhere um and and, and esh particularly she finds you know she she is even more isolated than than that community and then her family is because she's this only girl that grows up in a world full of men so she really has to look outside of what is you know easily available to her or you know in front of her in order to find i don't know find some sort of kinship mm-hmm. This leads me to wonder, have you read uh, Catherine Boo's Behind the Beautiful Forevers yet? No. Okay, well, I mean, because your book, on a fiction level, sort of reminded me of this great journalism book, which I think you would love, and I just was totally in admiration of it. It basically deals with this inner life of these uh, people who are poor, who are collecting trash on the edge of Mumbai. And, um, And your book reminded me very much of this response to typical first world guilt or whatnot, that instead of actually pitying or looking down upon these people, your book is very much about giving all of these characters a great inner life. They do live, and it's important to remember that they live. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm wondering uh, where this impulse came from, whether this idea of allowing Esh and her family to live was in some sense uh, a way for you to counter any accusations of, well, uh, I'm responding to politics and so forth? Well, I think that, you know, I, I write about the kind of people that I grew up with and the kind yeah. of people that are in my family and, 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 uh, and about the place that I'm from. I mean, I'm from a, a, a poor, rural, southern community that, um, at least in my part of the community, is mostly, mostly black. Yeah. And, you know, our families have been there for generations, and I have a very large extended family, and I'm related to almost everyone in my town. And so, for me, it's, it, it's a, like writing about the people that I write about, um, you know, I feel like it's a responsibility because I'm writing about my people. You know, I very, even though I, my path has, has, my path is very different from most of the people that I grew up with, I still consider myself you know that that's still my place, and those are still my people. So for for me, like that, that's what this this. I don't feel like an outsider coming yeah. to this. I feel like, you know, an insider who's speaking out for the rest of the people inside my group. No, sure. No, I totally understand that. I mean, do you think that this is going to be how it's going to be for your fiction career? That you have to respond to this responsibility of speaking for this group of people because nobody else will. Or in fact, you know, one might argue that maybe American fiction or regional American fiction isn't actually hitting that particular uh, particular territory. What do you think of this? I, um, I mean, I think that, that for the foreseeable future, as far as my writing life is concerned, like I, I intend to, to write about the place and the people you know that I that I come from, um, yeah. and because I mean part of the reason that I do so, I mean part of the reason that I wanted to write about Katrina is because I didn't, I I, I was uncomfortable and made angry by the the sort the by the way that I heard others speak about about people that didn't evacuate for the storm, about people that stayed, about poor people who were caught you know sort of in the maw of that storm, and. Uh, and, and, and I wanted to write against that. So I, I do, in a way, I mean, I do think that 
that the voices of the people that I write about, or, or even just the people that I write about, that they've been absent in the conversation, you know, yeah. in the, like the national conversation. And and that's part of what I'm trying to do by writing about them is introduce them to, you know, introduce their voices into that conversation so that people pay attention, that people, you know, aren't so quick to, you know, to sort of like to sort of write them off as, you know, as as, as worthless or stupid or you know all the other crazy things that I heard after Hurricane Katrina. When well, what's other specific things that really pissed you off? Well, people, I, you know, I heard so, so one this one this one woman. She's actually from Atlanta too, which yeah. is you know. I mean, close enough. It's six hours away from where I live, and she said that the reason that we that Hurricane Katrina had hit us and done so much damage is because we were sinful, like we were a sinful place. You know, for her, it was very much about you know she was approaching it from a religious you know standpoint, yeah. and so the Pat Robertson like yes, charge. Yes, that, yes. Well, they brought a lot to themselves. Yeah, yes. yeah. So we we deserved it because of you know our proclivity for like gambling and yeah. drinking and and all the rest. Um, and then I, and then other people. Uh, you know that I encountered said that that they couldn't understand one they couldn't understand why people stayed you know for it in the, that why people would stay and try to survive a hurricane like that and two that that they they didn't understand why people would return and try to rebuild yeah. because what's the point if global warming just means that you know there are going to be more storms they're going to be just as powerful as Katrina and more of them are going to hit you know that 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 part of the of the United States um, and that comment really made me angry because that person was from LA <laughs> <laughs> yeah the person was from California um, these bicoastal buffoons own. yeah <laughs> I know um, so yeah so I just you know I heard, I just heard commentary like that and it just it just made me really angry and I I wanted to you know counter those you know I I really felt like our voices were absent from, you know, from from that, especially that conversation. Sure. You know, you had uh, what was her name? It's Bush's mother. Remember when she said that crazy Barbara stuff Bush, about yeah. The, yeah, yeah, about the people from New Orleans. Yeah. Like this was like a vacation for them because they got to go and stay in the Houston Astrodome. Like yeah. really? Are you yeah. serious? Yeah. Just so far removed from like the reality of these people's lives and their struggles and their, you know, just so far removed from their just. I mean, comments like that just made me realize how pe when people said them, they it's like they didn't recognize like our humanity at all. Yeah. And it just that really made me angry and made me want to address Hurricane Katrina in the book. Well, this seems as good a time as any to confess to you, Jasmine, <laughs> that at the point where they are scrambling for their boiled eggs and their packages of ramen, and there's, of course, the depiction of the carton of bones in the fridge. And then they say, oh, well, FEMA and Red Cross will help us out. At that point, I thought I had a maximum level of, of anger towards uh, Bush and Brown. And then I read that and I became even more <laughs> <laughs> furious towards them. And you're talking here about anger. And you're talking about it in a very calm manner. And this book is, is extremely focused, I would say. So, you know... What did you do to, to not get so caught up in this understandably furious impulse and actually focus in on the book? Was it really the inner life of these, these characters that, that was enough for you to counter any socioeconomic, political, responsive bullshit? I mean, I think, I, I think so. I mean, because that's what I, I feel like that my, that my book will fail if my characters are not alive alive if they're not alive on the page and so you know if i mean that there have been great novels of, of ideas right yeah. but 
for me, the kind of writer that I am, I can't write those novels. It, and, and I don't think that I'd be that, you know, I, I don't think that they would be successful novels. Um, Why do you think you can't write a novel of ideas or that the ideas are best represented in the environment that you set down? It's just, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just not my style. Yeah. I don't, I, it's just not my style. It could, what comes naturally to me is, is, tell, is telling a story that's invested in people and in the characters, you know, and, and making them live on the page. I mean, I could, I, and I've met, you know, brilliant writers who, who are able to do that, who, who write, you know, books about, you know, those other kinds of books, and, and they're amazing, right? But I just, it's not, that's not my talent, I, yeah. I don't think. What of this notion of physicality in these characters? I mean, I, I'm reading through this book, and I really felt every single character. I mean, their presence, down to the lines of various sinewy muscles, to, of course, the obvious one, Esh's constantly probing stomach, to um, the way you describe the father, who has this absolute flat stomach, despite the fact that he drinks a lot, which made me realize, wow, this guy works that hard, and he's able to burn off enough calories to keep this physique, even though we know that there are all these bottles by his bed and so forth. So, you know, I'm wondering, does this concern for physicality allow you to get inside the heads and the feelings of these characters more than anything else? How does this work? Well, I think that... I think that, um... That, you know, this is the first novel that I've written that was from the first-person perspective. Yeah. You know, the, the, the first novel that I wrote was, was from a close third-person, like a roving third-person perspective, right? So I just sort of, the narrative went from character to character and, yes. and, and reflected some of what they thought and some of what they saw, but not fully, right? But, but this was the first time that, that, I, that I wrote an uh, a novel, um, an entire book, from, a, from, a, from one character's perspective, right? And so I think that that was really instrumental in me um, being able to both pay attention to like the physicality of, yeah. of the place, because I think that, that's, that, that Esh would be highly conscious of those things because she's this girl you know, she's this outsider in this situation, you know, that she grows up in this world full of men. So I think that makes her very conscious of the ways, of the way that she is different from those around her. Um, and, and then also, you know, because some of the, some of the models for like womanhood and motherhood that she's getting, like these are in the natural world, right? I mean, it's her brother's pit bull and it's, yeah. and it's the hurricane. And so I think that that makes her also like hyper aware of this, of, of the physical world. Um, and then, and then I think that because she is an outsider in this situation, that that does make her not only more like more aware of the physical world, but also more perceptive, um, more perceptive about people's personalities, about yeah. what they think, and, and being able to like look at them as they move, and 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 sort of able to sort of figure out like why, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. And so, yeah, so I really think it was the first person perspective and, and the particular character that I chose to use to, you know, to, to, to tell that story that, that allows that, that yeah. attention. How does language work for you? I mean, salvage, savage, very close. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that China is anagram for chain. Huh. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure if that was conscious on your part, but, uh, but I noticed that as the book progressed, we saw more chain, 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 China, chain, China, chain, and I thought that was actually quite funny. Um, do words allow you to get at what you're talking about here in terms of the physical identity of these characters, sometimes more than sheer observation or sheer life experience? Uh, how does language work for you in ways that, say, your own, uh, your own feelings sometimes do not? 
Well, I, um, you know, I use, I, language, I love figurative language, you know, and it's, and I know that, 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 that in certain circles that's not popular. And it's totally, a, a, um, it's, it's all about your taste, right? Your individual yeah. taste, whether you like, you know, things that are cleaner and spare or, or you like things that are a little more, um, more sort of ornate and, um, and, and, and in my case, I do. Yeah. And I can't, I, I think that, um, you know, that's just, that's, that's just my style. It seems right to me. And so I, you know, I think that with Esha's character, you know, because she's telling this story, I think that she, her character sort of allowed me to do, allowed me to just, to, 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 to develop a really strong voice and to use a lot of figurative language because that's sort of, that's what she's doing, right? She's trying to understand the world. So it's sort of natural for her to say that one thing looks like another or one thing is, is another. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, so I, th- I think that's why that there's that, you know, that I was able to use a lot of figurative language. It's all language in, in in, in all the writing that I do, I'm very aware of the rhythm too. Yes. And and I'm and it's not a, it's not a, it's sort of an intuitive thing for me. You know, it's not like a, a, con- a conscious thing. It's a it's an intuitive thing when I'm when I'm writing when I'm thinking about the sounds of the words and like the rhythm that they make when they're put together, and what kind of effect that they may, that may have on the reader. Um, but that's, but. But, you know, and I know that other writers work in different ways and other writers may, you know, I don't know, not work like that, but I do. Let's widen the panorama on this point about this collisional rhythm, which I definitely detected in this. I mean, from the get-go, we have Outcast and Deuteronomy, Mm -hmm. two totally opposing ideas cast in the epigraphs. And then later on, you have this end of the chapter where the father has this accident and there's also the scenario with China and the puppy. And that rhythm really allows you to become completely wrapped in that scene. Um, how do you find, I suppose, an incidental rhythm or a scene-related rhythm? Two, or in some cases, three uh, different ideas that work just right without getting in the way of being some sort of thorny thumb. It's like, oh, ho, 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 it's the concept. Because when you're reading it, you don't really know that, oh, wow, there's these two things going on. And then you think about it afterwards, you say, wow, there was actually this, this, and this, hey, you know? Jasmine's got some moves. <laughs> um, that I'm glad. I'm. It's good to hear that you like that part because actually, when I when, you know, I I I um I got feedback on a lot of the on the entire book actually from from a lot of my friends. Yeah. And a couple of them, or at least one of them, did not like that, especially that scene. Really. Where the, these two things were going on at the same time, and where you know that specific scene didn't like it because of the sort of twinning. Yeah. that I that I, that I did and I don't I mean I I think in that moment something of, when I was making that choice and writing that that section something about it just felt right to me that these two things should be happening at the same time and and both of them should be you know violent and and that there should be this echo you know sort of back yeah. between the characters back and forth as far as dialogue goes um, so you defied all yeah, of your peers and you put that in there. <laughs> I did, I did. Um, Why do you think that they were rejecting that particular scene? Well, I think maybe because, you know, like you were saying, I think it, it felt a little 
for them maybe it felt a little felt a little too orchestrated yeah. you know i mean because 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 it does in some ways i mean it sort of calls calls attention to itself you and want to so apologize they did the snare ride yeah snare ride, all <laughs> yeah. That. Yeah. yeah yeah so i think that's why because it called attention to itself and they just and and well the this per the the person that i'm talking about who i'm still friends with and oh, sure. i lo love very much but they're oh, we love our critics, yeah, exactly. don't we? <laughs> their style is um is very different from mine like much yeah. cleaner um yeah. and more uh you know he he doesn't really call attention to himself in in the in, or his prose doesn't like not in that way and in the way that he constructs his scenes it doesn't it's it seems it all seems like very organic and very seamless and so i think that that again too you know that's his that's his aesthetic so of course it's going to inform what he tells me you know let's get into the violence mm -hmm. i love violence in fiction but <laughs> <laughs> um we were talking earlier about your anger but on the other hand we're also talking about katrina and that's of course an incredibly violent upheaval. Uh, I'm wondering, where do you think much of the violence in this came from? Did it come from this fury? Did your fury need to spill out onto the page somewhere? Or was this, I suppose, possibly related to what we were talking about earlier in terms of physicality? When you are, have such a keen focus on the physical, well, inevitably, when you shake things up, you know, you're going to see blood fly. Blood spray in this case, yeah. Well, I think, um, I think that where I come from I think that's a reflection of where I come from, yeah. you know, where the where, of course, the physical world is very important, and where, you know, where it can't, you know, violence is a part of the landscape and a yeah. part of life. I mean, just in the, you know, in the, you know, I mean, even from like the hurricanes down to, you know, sort of interpersonal, you know, inter, inter I mean, interviews? interactions. <laughs> I, I don't, I haven't. No, not I interviews. Haven't interactions. Yet. No. <laughs> Um, so yes, I just I don't know. I think that it that that's reflective of the of of life in the rural South. I think, and I, um, and 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 that that's where much of that you know comes yeah. from. I have to also ask you about China, the dog, uh, which we were getting into earlier. Um, this is such a ferocious, uh, ambivalent, multi-layered dog. Um, what did it take to get the emotional dimensions of this dog? Uh, the other question I have is, well, there's a very interesting Amazonian-like fate that China has, uh, well, before the ultimate fate. And um, it goes back to our question of mythology. I mean, you know, this dog is almost the sort of mythological anchor, I would argue, of the book. And, and I'm wondering how you were able to develop such, such immense feelings for this dog and why it, it Maybe it was just sort of an inevitable byproduct of the creative process for this dog to have such a dominant presence. But, uh, you know, how were you able to control this massive beast? I mean, she was one of my favorite characters from the very beginning. Yeah. She's one of the three characters that I began the book with as far as, like, knowing, you yeah. know. Um, I knew who Esh was, I knew who Skeeter was, and I knew who China was. Yeah. Um, so she was always at the, you know, part of that. Um, I guess like triumvirate of you know of of of, of main characters, um, and I, I I knew that she would be important to the story, but I didn't know how important, um, and that really that was a surprise for me. You know, like when I begin each book, I have a general idea of the main characters, and then I have a general idea of the end, and so I, a, you know, writing for me is is entering finding the beginning and then 
writing my way to the end. And so what happens in the middle always surprises me. Yeah. Um, and so her sort of development and um, and evolution as a character that 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 surprised me. Yeah. Um, she, you know, I think that that in a way she reflects. Um, a lot of people own pit bulls where I'm from. Um, my dad owned owned a pit bull that was very important in my childhood, and so um, and 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 a dog that that in ways was in in some ways was unlike China because not only was she very loyal was this dog very loyal to my father, but then also fought, um, and, and that's that's like China. But she that that dog was also very. Um, very loyal to us as children in a, in a way that I don't think that China is in the in the book, um, and uh, and and was very um, you know at times he would be my babysitter I remember and uh, and would comfort me and like lick tears from my face so he so I think you know growing up with uh, with with a dog like that um, you know a dog that sort of holds all these contradictions you know that I watched yeah. like fight and 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 hurt uh, you know other dogs and yet could be very tender yeah. um, and very devoted i think sort of made me you know i bought that with me to the novel so that i knew you know that the dog that china she couldn't be this like one dimensional character you know yeah. i mean just as the human beings in the book had to be you know complicated and and fully human is that in a way I mean she was being personified and she had to be complicated yeah. and she had to be multifaceted too so so it seems like China's presence almost made the dog fighting scene that comes later in the book absolutely necessary it was China's mm -hmm. you know imposing mm -hmm. yeah oh, I see I see this also leads me to ask you about this Manny guy mm -hmm. real real page this guy um, he uh, he uh, seems to be coming, I, if, I, if what I'm hearing from you is correct, almost as, as a response to this triumvirate that you established. Did he emerge because you needed a way to give Esh more conflict? I mean, it also leads me to ask you as well about the mother, this mysterious backstory where we know that she has died in bed bleeding, and we know that the wedding ring is contaminated in some way, but we don't actually know specifically what that is. A very, very iceberg theory of you. <laughs> and I'm wondering, um, was there more of the mother in a previous draft? Um, and where did Manny come out of in order to, you know, tilt the balance a little bit and create some multifaceted conflict? Um, there was, there actually wasn't more of the mother in another oh, okay. draft. She, um, you know, she. I feel like she came into the the narrative whenever she was needed. You know, yeah. like the, her ghost was a pretty important presence in the sure. book, and the sense of like loss and grief that the kids feel, you know, and and the father, you know, feel, feels, you know, as they sort of struggle with her loss even years later, that 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 had to be fully present, you know, in the narrative. Um, Manny was a, you know, I think that that's that. Unfortunately, you know, when I thought about, I, I mean, I knew from the beginning that Esh would be a bit, that she was sort of promiscuous, yeah. right? But it seemed to make sense to me, um, you know, when I, the, the more that I learned about her character, it seemed to make sense that, that that's the kind of, of young man that she would be in love with, you know? I mean, sort of a, a young man who, I mean, it's almost as if he, as if, sort of all the worst worst qualities of 
you know, of, of, of the young men on the pit, at least as far as how they see Ash or don't see Ash and, 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 and what they think of her, that they're all sort of encapsulated in, in him. Um, you felt a need perhaps to show the young men who, for a woman growing up, mm -hmm. a, young, a young lady growing up in this environment, these are the forces that tear them down. Yeah. You could have a total future ahead of mm -hmm. you as, as, as an intellect of some mm -hmm. kind, and these guys are just going to totally tear you down. You felt that's that's kind of where you came from? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think Because I think that, you know, that... You know, I think that gr girls like Esh exist, and I think that young men like Manny exist, and I think that, you know, that, that often there's something, um, you know, he, I think that he, that he's, that his cruelty and the way that he dismisses her in ways, I think sometimes makes him more, even more charismatic to her yeah. and draws her to him because that, I mean, that for her, that would be like the ultimate, not triumph, but like the ultimate sort of goal is to is to is to turn the way that he treats her on on its head and, yeah. and have him really see her um and uh you know see her and, and, and treat her with some with some respect which of course he doesn't do you yeah. know um so so yeah so I, that, that's why I, th I mean that's sort of how i see them sort of interacting it, it seems to me that you were drawing very much on emotional energies for characters like this and also um from some of the details, and, I, and I'm wondering, you know, how much of this world do you create, or are you really drawn towards every instant in your life? It somehow comes through when you're writing a book, and there's nothing you can really do to uh, to really stop it. It's just going to come, and so it creates, I suppose, this unstoppable emotional force that flows onto the page. Would you say that's the case with this? Um, you know, I I think. You know, like I said earlier, the 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 characters take on a life of their own on the page, yeah. and often they do things and say things that surprise that surprises me. You know, yeah. and so you're shocked very yeah, often. Yeah, yeah, but I but you know, whenever they do, you know, it 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 feels right, and I just go with it. And so, you know, often when I'm writing, it doesn't. I mean, it seems to me to be a very intuitive process. It seems to come from, not from me, but through me. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know if that answers your question. You no, know, I get it. I mean, way. you have to really commit yourself to what's happening, no matter mm -hmm. what happens. Yeah. 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 Does that also account for the very raw nature of many of the sex scenes in this book, too? These just sort of spring out of nowhere? Well, I, mean, I think that... You know that 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 these that their lives, the kids' lives, um, that you know it's not, <laughs> it's not that 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 the reality of you know of of their lives in and out, including the sex that they have, that 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 it's not. I mean, it's not you know glossed over and you know uh, airbrushed and you know. I mean, I just I just don't think that it's. I think it's very different from what what they would encounter in 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 popular culture, you know, sort of on television, and, and I think that maybe, or you know, on the big screen, and I think that maybe that's, you know, that's a part of the reason that the that the sex scenes are so like, you know, so, you know, sort of straightforward yeah. and 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 so like centered in just the the body, yeah. you know, 
and, and, and physical, physical place. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So that's why I, I think that is. Um, and I think, and in ways, I mean, I think it also sort of echoes some of what Esh encounters in the in the mythology, right? Where sex was, you know, in all these myths that she's reading. I mean, there was rape. There yeah. was, you know, I mean, sort of conquest when people didn't want it. I mean, just you know, it was a, uh, it was messy. Yeah. And so I and I that's think an that, understatement. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think that 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 the book sort of reflected that, or the you know, the book. The salvage the bones reflected that. Sure. I also wanted to ask you, I love the fact that the trees in this book are always described almost as limbs. I mean, it gives us a nice connotation to what happens near the end, but there is something, um, I don't know, uh, there's something about that, that particular comparison that really makes the world that these people live in that much more... Um, uh, I suppose safe, just as the pit for something that is seemingly accessible is, is almost like paradise in a way. And I'm wondering, um, you know, did this also come from the mythology, or or did you have to daydream a bit in order to ensure that the world of these characters, however impoverished, was still a safe and very alive one? Huh. You know, I hadn't thought about the fact that that the, at least my descriptions of the tree trees could be linked to um, or informed by mythology yeah. which I mean I de- that could definitely be uh, you know like a legitimate reading of it I just haven't thought about yeah, it sure. um, I think that that the the natural environment um, you know that I write about to me is is very alive you know it's not, and very alive and um, and very personal and I also think that it is, it's, that it's, it's something, I mean it, how do I say this, that it is, it's something that can, that, that has been what it is for generations, you know? Yeah. And so, in that respect, um, the limbs have always been yes, there. yeah, and so in that respect, I think that it can you know sort of offer the characters this sense of security because it's always been there and that it is, which I think is also why it's such a shock when the hurricane comes and then yeah. it isn't you know it's ripped away and it isn't um, but yeah, and then the pit you know I I, I, I I felt like I knew you know how the pit would read. To outsiders, you know, they would see this as just this disgusting hole, and then the ground yeah. that's filled with stagnant water, and, yeah. and and but I really wanted, you know, which is why I'm glad that Esh was telling the story because I really wanted the her account to express to express the way that they saw it, and they didn't see it in the way that you know they didn't see the pit as a, the way that an outsider would. I mean, they really saw it as as you know, like this was their swimming hole, this yeah. was their place, this is where they could. You know, sort of have fun and yeah. you know, well, staying underwater for a amount of time. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, they could do. They could do. You know, I mean, that's their own private swimming pool. So, how do you find the right details to depict impoverishment? I mentioned the food earlier. I mentioned the carton with the bones that were spare. Um, you know, there are numerous. Uh, and they're very often related to measurement. I mean, you know, I, I believe you describe the, the dad's bottles as little versions of himself. How do you know a detail is precise enough to warrant inclusion? 
when, I mean, do you feel any responsibility to the, um, maybe this is where we get to the question of how your anger translates into depicting life and, and how you respond to people who really have no understanding of how these people live. I mean, is this your answer to them? Getting those details right? Uh, I think, I think the right details are the ones that, that, sh that it show readers the that show readers this world and that surprise them yeah. and yet convince them you know like surprise them with 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 how sort of um, you know unfamiliar and uh, you know how unfamiliar and and and, uh, and just not you know like not inside or 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 it's not part of what they would think this world is, you know, and yet convincing them that that that's of course that would be there, you know, once they've encountered it. And so, you know, that's I think that's what I tried to do, um, you know, when I wrote about, you know, about the pit and what it looked like and what and, you know, and and and, you know, and, and how there are all these things that the father had salvaged and, you know, what role they, you know, how they changed the environment and then changed the kids environment and um, and then how the kids used them in different ways, you know, words yeah. that the father wouldn't think of using them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's how I, I, I try to think about detail. I know that sometimes that it can. I mean, it's it's. I think it's difficult. You know, it's one of those things that you have to think about in revision because you don't want to overwhelm the reader with too much yeah. because then they'll get lost in like in the mountain of detail and then they'll lose yeah. the heart of the story. You know, they'll lose the story. And that's gonna be painful for someone like you who wants to tell everybody yeah. all these great things, yeah. all these amazing things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So it's. I mean, it's just something that you have to try to accomplish success you know pay attention to and revision so that so that it works well i think that's a good place to end but uh jasmine thanks so much it was a pleasure to chat with you oh no thank you fantastic <laughs>